Okay, this time, uh, Matthew will come up for his message. Uh, Our Mothers is the title. Hello. Who here had a mother? It's not a trick question. We all had a mother. And uh, tomorrow is, of course, Mother's Day, um, which has been on the calendar for a long time. And uh, yet we still sometimes find it creeping up on us, don't we? But it is a very special day, even though it's not a day that we find in Scripture. But that's okay. There are many special days that we have in our culture and in our life that are not found in Scripture. But there is a lot, excuse me for one second, I don't want to trip over that wire, there is a lot said in the Bible about mothers. And I thought it would be really a blessing for us today to to go through that and also to broaden the concept of mothers. David mentioned at the beginning of his message, you know, how many mothers did we have in this room, but there's, there's a broader concept of mothers that applies, I think, to all women, whether they've had children or not. And so we're going to talk about that as well. The provision of our mothers in our life simply cannot be overstated. Think about your mother. Think about how you would not be here if it wasn't for your mother. Our mothers, in collaboration with God himself, produced each one of us in the sanctity of her womb. She carried us while we grew. She supplied our every need while we developed, giving to us all the vital resources that we needed to grow and mature and develop and and be prepared, the vital resources, to be prepared to enter into this world as a viable human being. She gave us all these living resources from her own body, drawing from what is already in her body to provide for our needs. She was concerned about her health, but not for us, or not for her, but for us, as we grew and developed inside of her. And then, when she had finished this nine months long, thereabouts, effort and work with all the back pain and the morning sickness and all the the challenges that go with it, she entered into a period that we call labor because it is work. And she labored to bring forth us into a new world. And the answer to our question, is there life outside of the womb, was answered, right? As she brought us forth into this new world to us and a new life into the world. She celebrated that moment. She celebrated perhaps with laughter, perhaps with tears of joy, 
with gladness and always with deep love in her heart. And that bond of love is one that can never be broken. That bond of love is just basic, programmed. It's there. It cannot be made to be in doubt in most cases. And it cannot be removed no matter where we go or how far away we are from our mums, as we call them in England. And this should give us a clue. This level of love should give us an insight because this love that our mother has for us, again, in most cases, is poured forth and we haven't done anything. We are, in fact, completely helpless. We can't produce anything. We cannot earn that love because we can't even move. We are put in one place and that's where we're found. It's not many months later until we start crawling around and getting into things and, and our mothers wishing that they had tied us down. The best love that she has for us is there purely because we exist and we are hers. That should give us a clue about how God loves us. Because it is, we forget, we think of God oftentimes as a man, as a male. But it is from God that, that women get their feminine nature. And so we can see this side of God's nature through our mothers. But of course, birth is just the beginning. A mother's work has only just started. With, without our mother and her natural superpower, and without the, that, that strength that she has, we're, we're not going to continue to grow. And, and perhaps, you know, our mothers were adopted mothers. Perhaps they were a grandmother that filled that role. But whatever that, whoever that individual was, they had a set of superpowers that they brought to our life. With great care and devotion, our mothers set about feeding us, protecting us, keeping us warm, keeping us clean and healthy. Without hardly a care for her own comfort, our mothers made sure that we were comfortable and safe. She treated us when we were sick, supported us when we were sad, comforted us, when we were upset, and cleaned us up and herself up when we brought forth projectile vomiting. True story. Have a, have a boy back there that I just watched as a fire hose of projectile vomit came out of his mouth all over his mother. And she cared for him in the midst of that. She would draw us close to her heart, lay us on her breast, and love us simply because we were hers. That is our mother. 
Then she would teach us. She helped us take our first steps. She read to us, helped us say our first words. She would guide us into making our first decisions. And she would nurture us and train us and, and give us every opportunity to be the best version of ourselves if we chose to listen to her wisdom and her experience. Our mothers are amazing. Now, what I have described is the ideal. Not all of us have experienced the ideal, and I understand that. Sometimes we were robbed of our mother for one reason or another. We live in a fallen world. And sometimes people miss out on some of the things that they should have received from their mothers. Maybe through no fault of their mothers. And in today's Western society, we see motherhood under assault. Motherhood and the value, the tremendous value of women in our society and in our community is under a savage and sustained assault, more than ever. The evil lies of transgender movement is destroying the understanding that we have in our society about the incredible and amazing nature of women and of mothers. In less than 100 years, we've gone for women achieving and, and fighting for and achieving rights that are natural to them as beings created in the image of God, to enjoying those rights and now them being taken away in a twisted version of, I don't know what you call it, just a twisted version of reality. And we've arrived at this place that being a woman is just simply a decision. It's just a decision. No, it's not. This is a lie, and it is one that is destroying our society. Let me just go on record so that I can be banned from YouTube and so that I can be I don't know what else in the future. This is a lie. Only women, biological women, can be women. How do I know? Well, it's pretty self-evident. But I know this because I know that I am not one. I'm a man. And I know what it's like to be a man. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't have a woman's body. I don't have a woman's mind and soul and spirit. I have a man's mind and soul and spirit. So I know. We all know intrinsically that there is two genders, male and female. The other reason I know this is because of what God said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let us make man, mankind, 
man-man and woman-man. Let us make these humans in our image. Just think about that. We're in the image of God, and yet we can be two genders. Because that's the nature of God. He is the feminine and the masculine together. And he divided his nature amongst us. In our image and according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What's missing from that list? I've talked about this before and it's really important in this context. Man and woman have dominion over all the animals, not over each other and not over other men and other women. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. There's only two sexes. There isn't 12, there isn't 23. That'll get me blocked from YouTube for sure. It's easy, it's straightforward, it's obvious it is what has brought about human civilization since the moment God created Adam and Eve. There are no other genders. A man is a man all the way down to what? The nucleus of his cells. It's in his DNA. A man carries one Y and one X chromosome. It's in our DNA, it cannot be changed, no matter what we do with hormones or surgeries or anything else. And a woman is a woman down to her DNA with two Y chromosomes. And that is the story of gender. That is the beginning and the end of that story. There is no medical process or treatment that can change this. God created us male and female, and it was good. It was good. No matter what else we do to our bodies, no matter what, how we think we are, this is the truth, immovable, unchangeable. Why did God do this? Why did he do this? He wanted to have as many of us as possible. He wanted to create, through Adam and Eve, through male and female, the largest family that he could get. And that was the first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve. God blessed them, he says, and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Be fruitful with two genders, not 23 or 12. Two. Have dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and on every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's commandment from the beginning. 
And it's interesting, this is the first commandment, and it's to do with gender, and it's to do with how he created us, so that he could produce through us his family, and it wants this earth to be full of human life. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And, you know, I don't think it's, uh, a, you know, kind of a coincidence, really, that we have this correlation between I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and while you do that, you can eat the fruit and the multiplication of the seeds of, this an of these creatures, of these plants. It's all about procreation. It's all about sending human beings throughout this world and filling this world with people that are made in his image. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. It was good to have a man and a woman. It's good. And sometimes we think it's not. Because men and women operate quite differently in life. And there are challenges that come when people operate differently from somebody else, isn't there? And God knew this. And I think this was intrinsic even after you know, this was there with the, before the fall and certainly magnified after. But it's good that we're different. It's good that we're different. He made it good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We are the crown of God's creation. There is no other creature like us. There is no creature that dominates the earth. We can change, literally, the direction of the planet. We can change mountain sides. We can affect every other life form on this planet. And certainly with our technology today, we have the ability to end it as well. But we don't have the ability to create new genders. We can only create after our own kind, just as God made us. But we are the crown of his creation, and we are special and distinct from every other creature, and we are special and distinct, man from woman and woman from man. And, as Paul talks about, woman is the crown of the crown of creation. He puts woman on the top of this structure. And he glorifies that. And it's interesting that oftentimes Paul's used as, to, as some sort of, I don't know, anti-woman mindset in, in, in the church. And, and that's not what he was saying at all. And many of the things he talks about relate to the custom and the culture at the time that he had to live in and that the church had to live in. Paul said, 
that woman was the glory of man. And man is the glory of God. That is huge. When we think about what that means. Without a woman's superpower, her ability to collaborate with God to bring forth new life, we wouldn't be here. That is an incredible superpower. And it's important that we look at it that way because for how many generations now has our world tol told us that that's a burden on women that men have created? Uh, are you sure men created that? God created that. And it's not a burden. It's a privilege. And it is also a choice. But it is a privilege. A woman, a wife, a mother has far more skills than just that, though. Far more skills than just bringing forth new life. She fills the world with grace and beauty. Could you imagine what the world would look like if it was all masculine? I mean, there are male artists that create beautiful things, but I don't know. I don't think there'd be any walls with any direct decorations on them whatsoever. There probably wouldn't be any carpet or anything soft. It'd be a place full of tools, which we might like, but it would be a black and white world without beauty. Women bring beauty to the world through their nature, through who they are, and they also look to express that and put that into our world. And through her strength, she tames some of the wildness of Adam. Not all of it, as most of you women probably know who are married that you can't train all of it out of us. We're a little stubborn that way. Yeah, my wife's nodding her head big time. But she does tame us enough so that we can be productive, so that we can enter into family and relationship with her and build what God has commanded us to do. But this superpower of motherhood extends beyond women that have had children. And we often don't think about this. But motherhood and mothering are activated and put on steroids for sure when a woman has children of her own. That is something that I think is intrinsic to every woman, is the ability to mother. I don't mean it in the bad sense of trying to corral everybody and get everybody to do what they're doing, what, what she wants. I mean in the good sense. There's a, a newsletter that came out from the Wild at Heart Ministries this last week, and Renee shared it with me. And I think it's really appropriate, and they have some good things to say about it. I just wanted to share it. It says, as large as the role is that our mothers play, the word mother is more powerful when used as a verb uh, 
than, a, than as a noun. All women are not mothers, but all women are called to mother. To mother is to nurture, to train, to educate, to rear. As daughters of Eve, all women are uniquely gifted to help others in their lives become more of who they truly are, to encourage, to nurture, and mother them towards their true selves. In doing this, women partner with Christ in a vital mission of bringing forth life. And then they, they have this interesting perspective on, on a passage that we have shared and we have heard so many different times from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse, they say, and I think they have a good point here, is not a promise about faith. It is not speaking of training a child to follow Christ or promising that if you do, the grown child will continue to follow him. Sorry, the proverb is about raising a child to know who he is and to guide him in becoming ever more himself in the way that he should go. Not in the way that you would like him to go in order to validate you as a mother and, a, and, a, and as a woman, or you could even say as a father. It speaks of teaching a child to live from his heart, attuned to it, awake to it, aware of it. And when that child is grown, he will continue to live a life from the heart. It's about seeing who a person really is and calling him out to be that person. And I think that's a really interesting point that they present there, maybe a little different than what we're used to hearing. But I think we can see some of that playing out in the world today with all of these young people having these gender identity issues. Are they being trained up and taught and guided in, in that deep way of who they are? I think the schooling systems and, and you know, the educational systems and, of course, the media and all of their agendas are stepping in the way and, and maybe stopping parents from being able to do that in some cases, even if they wanted to. And so we see the fruits of that. And then they continue and they, they close this out, it's just a small passage, and they say, the impact on a life that has been seen and called out uh, is dramatic and eternal. The nurturing of life is high, is a high and holy calling. And as a woman, it is yours. Yes, it takes many shapes and has a myriad of faces. Yes, men are called to this as well. But uniquely and deeply, this calling makes up part of the very fiber of a woman's soul, the calling to mother. And I think I think I agree with with the sentiments of what they're saying here. That there are characters, characteristics, and elements within every woman that allow her to mother, even if she doesn't have children herself. And we see that. I think we've probably seen that in our family dynamics or in our church, where we have women that maybe are not mothers, but they're every bit capable of taking care of others, whether they be children or adults, peers, 
and bringing that nurturing, mothering characteristics to the forefront. The power and the influence of women and mothers in our world, in our life, it cannot be, it cannot be underestimated or diminished. Take, for example, the passage we find in Proverbs 31. Very familiar passage, right? Who here thinks that a man wrote it? Because if you go through the list, what it talks about here is like, hey, pff, this is the ideal woman. I mean, surely a man wrote out this list, right? Hey, wife, why don't you be like this list, right? Wrong. A woman wrote this. A woman wrote this entire chapter. In Proverbs chapter 31. Now, we also need to understand a little bit more about the context. There's some debate over who the woman here is talking about and who she is. So she is a mother, and it says that she is the mother of the king. And some actually say that this is really Solomon and that the, the, the woman talking is his mother, of course, Bathsheba. And that's kind of interesting. And as we'll see in some of the parts of this chapter, that could explain some of what she talks about, certainly in the first few verses. Uh, and then the other theory is that it's actually a proverb that was maybe collected into the scriptures, being true, and all of it being correct according to scripture, uh, but that it was a different king, and maybe not even an Israelite uh, king. So, this is the context that we have here. So, let's just uh, start with uh, verse 1. The words of King Lamel, the utterance which his mother taught him. So, he actually listened to what she said. Which is hope for you mothers out there that your children might actually listen to what you say. Right? What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Was he asking her a question? Was she like, what is it now? Anybody ever answered that to one of your kids? Uh-huh, yep. Or was it, what can I tell you that is critical for you to know as a man and as a king? What can I impart to you? What is the most important thing that I can tell you or talk to you about? I mean, the context of this, she's using very emotional language, my son, the son of my womb, and the son of my vows. And at first you might think, well, is that her marriage vows? No, it's not. Because whether a woman realizes it or not, when she decides that she's going to have a family, that she wants children, she's making a vow to that child that, that she will be their mother for the rest of her life. 
How many of you older mothers no longer worry you, think about your kids? No hands. For the rest of your life. And so is it a vow, like Hannah's, pleading that God would answer the desire of her heart? Maybe. Or is it just a vow that she's making to be dedicated to the fruit of her womb? to this child, and maybe the next one, and the next one. Not just for nine months. Then she says, it's interesting. Again, what shall she tell this king? What should she tell her son? She decides to say this. Do not give your strength to women. What? What is that? telling the king, do not give your strength to women. Nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Sorry, but hold on a second. What is she talking about? Women destroy kings? You better believe they do. Women here could be translated as uh, a harem. So, you know, I think that's probably why some people say, well, this might be Solomon. He's kind of famous for his harm. What was it? 700, 300 wives, 700 concubines. And she's saying, do not give your strength to women, nor to your ways uh, to which destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. So, what is she saying? I think she's comparing this means by which he could give his strength over to women and getting drunk. You see that corollary here. Now, maybe you women don't quite understand it, but you can be, to us men, as intoxicating as drink. Just a newsflash for you, in case you didn't notice. So is that what she's saying? I think so. And he, she is warning him about the dangers of both. The imagery here is not being in a relationship. It's not, it's not, she's not talking about being in a relationship with a single woman in marriage. She's rather talking to a king who can have any woman he probably just wants to have, right? Of what that can do to him and how that can damage him and distract him from what? Justice for all the afflicted. Do we know a king that uh, perverted the course of justice? Well, it may be this king's father, right? Because David gave his strength over to women, to the desire of a woman that was not his, was not his by marriage, not his by the tradition that they had, of, of having a harm for the king. 
what did it cause him to do? Forget God's law? Have a man murdered? Cover it up? Steve talked about this, I think, just, just recently, or somebody did. And so this mother is trying to tell her son, be aware of this danger. This is a great danger for you and for your people. She says, instead, you need to open your mouth. Oh, I think I've skipped a piece here. It says, give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. And, you know, the, the image that I had was, was literally somebody's dying, and they're not doing too well. Yeah, give him drunk. Get him drunk. Give him all the comfort you can give him. And we do that today. Only we don't use alcohol, right? We use medications to take away pain and to, to ease suffering. But she says, this isn't for you. You're alive. You're a king. You don't need these things. Open your mouth for the speechless. And in the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. This is the whole role of the king, especially at this time, was to breathe that supreme judge. And if he's intoxicated with women or intoxicated with wine, he cannot be just because it, it affects his nature and his soul. And she was warning him about that danger. And so after she tells him all of these things, then it kind of seems like it's out of context, and yet it's not. Because these are the things that are real temptation to kings. And have any, any woman that they want in that community and anything to drink they want. Eat all the luxuries, right? And then she changes to a new direction. And he, she's encouraging him to do this instead. He says, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So, I don't know what the rest of you guys think of when you think of this, this opening part of the passage here. But I'm, I'm going to just throw something out that occurred to me. And, and I've seen this and I've heard this in conversations with many different men. One of the greatest fears that men have is the fear of abandonment. Now, it's not the only one, of course, but it's the fear of being abandoned. And here we have the, the mother of the king telling him to find a wife who he can trust, not to abandon him, not to go off with somebody else. Again, it makes you wonder, is this Bathsheba? Is she talking out of experience? Has she learned some things? about herself and her involvement with David. And then she says this. She seeks wool and flax 
and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar, and she also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Now, uh, at this point, uh, many of you might be saying in your head, um, many of you women might be saying, well, I don't create clothing. I, I can't do that. It's not my skill. Um, and maybe you're not the world's greatest cook. And maybe you're not a merchant that <laughs> brings all the, these things from afar. And maybe you're just thinking, if this is the list that I have to live up to, then it's not going to happen. Right? You might be thinking that. Well, I think the truth of what is really being said here is these are examples of the kinds of virtues that this woman has. Not a list of things you must do, but the kinds of virtue that would drive you to do these kinds of things or similar things for your family, for your children, for your, for your loved ones. She's taking care of the human needs, the basic human needs upon which everything else depends. Maybe she's not the greatest cook, but maybe she's really good at finding the best food for her husband. I don't know. We all have a different skill, right? Maybe she's really good at finding all the right restaurants to get carry out from. But she's taking care of the needs of her family, regardless. And then she, she pivots again, and she says she considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants a vineyard. And she girds herself with strength and strengthen, strengthens her arms, and she perceives, perceives that her merchandise is good and that her lamp does not go out by night. Now, you know, maybe you're not a super successful businessman as far as the world might, businesswoman, as the world might say you should be. She might not be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. But can you be a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company and care for a family? I don't care what gender you are. The answer is no. You sacrifice everything to get there and to stay there. And that's not the choice that she made. She chose to have a family. She chose to be married and to have this life. And so she has her priorities according to her desires and her choice. Does it say that she didn't have the skills to do that thing? No. It's about her choice and about the things that are important to her. So she finds a way to be successful in business that works with her family, with the things that are most valuable to her. She didn't value that great glittering career. In this case, she valued having a relationship with her children and her husband her community. 
And it's interesting that the mother of a king is writing this. You know, that had all of, uh, I'm sure, all the things that a mother of the king has. And yet she's talking about someone that is relational and normal, just like all of us. It says she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She's productive. She's effective in what she has chosen to do. But in the middle of all this work, she doesn't forget who she's doing it for. And it's not all sacrificial. She can do it for herself because she enjoys this. Why did she buy that field to, do, to, to plant a vineyard? She likes grapes. She wants to have a vineyard. She could have easily planted something else. Still her choice. But in the midst of those decisions, she is also mothering and nurturing and generous with what she has to give. The king's mother says that she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. What is that an example of? Mothering. Mothering others. Mothering others that are not her children. Because it's a natural skill and ability that God has given women. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Uh, her clothing is fine. Uh, linen and purple. So, you know, she's not afraid of the weather because she, she's provided for her family. Her kids are not going to be cold. They, they have the right clothing. She's taken care of everybody's needs. And then she fills the world around her with beauty. And she clothes herself in fine linen and purple. Why does she do that? Because she wants to. Newsflash. Ladies, you can spend money on yourself. It doesn't have to be all for the family. It doesn't have to be all for the kids or the husband. It can be for you. For you to adorn yourself with beautiful things. And we're grateful for this. As I said at the beginning, if it wasn't for women in our world, in our life, it would be absent a tremendous amount of beauty. And that of itself is reflective of God, isn't it? And we can just see the incredible, incredible beauty that he created in the world, and the majesty of the mountains, and the, the rolling hills, and the beauty of, of all of creation. A woman is like him in that way. Her husband, guess what? He's famous. He's known in the gates. By the work of his wife, the husband is respected. That's a pretty cool superpower. It's good for us guys because, of course, you know, we didn't have to work quite so hard to make a name for ourselves. And I wonder if it comes from a sense of, well, Maybe that guy might be special after all, or, or have something of value, because have you seen his wife? She's amazing. 
So she must think that he's worthwhile. That's just my theory on it. But the wife's character supports, strengthens her husband so that he is known in the community. She makes linen garments and sells them. She plies sashes for merchants. Strength and honor are in her clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. And that kind of indicates a, a phrase that means that she will enjoy the fruit of that labor. And that it's good to enjoy the fruit of that labor. And uh, maybe that's grandkids down the line. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. Who needs the law of kindness? We all do. Because we have plenty of the law of condemnation, don't we? Well, I should have done this. I should have been better about that. I should have really done this differently. The law of kindness is what we really need. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And she sees a problem. She's going to respond to it. She doesn't just watch over and then does the Adam thing and checks out. Adam does that. Eve, maybe out of her brokenness, gets involved and tries to fix the problem. She at least engages with the problem. This woman is superwoman. Any of you ladies would like to raise your hand and say, this is you? It is you. This isn't a list of things you have to achieve. These are reflective, as I said before, of the virtues of a woman who, especially a woman, who carries the spirit of Christ Jesus. Nobody can do all of these things all the time. But you can do some of these things some of the times that you need to do these things. And you reflect the virtue of a woman that sacrifices and gives for her family. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So I'm going to embarrass my wife and say that this is my wife. Is she perfect? But does she express these virtues? Absolutely. And I think many of you husbands will say the same about your wives. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. The labor of her love, of her mothering, it is a testament all of itself to her heart and to the obedience that she has towards God. These are the qualities of an amazing godly woman. Yes, they are the ideal, but they are not the list, the prescription 
and it was not lit written by a man. It was given at the wisdom of a woman. It is an example of a mothering heart that God has placed in each one of our amazing women, the daughters of the king. And I do not think it's a coincidence that in the last chapter of Proverbs, we find, in this last part of Proverbs, we find this chapter, because this is the last word on womanhood. It is the last word on life and the, the, the story that God is telling through the role of women in life. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And it's interesting. Look at the things that, that Paul chose to pull out. And one of, this, one of these things is... It, and I never looked at it quite the same way before, but Jesus does all of these things for his bride, for his wife, for the mother of his children, the church. He does all of these things for her so that he can present to her himself this glorified, beautiful, virtuous woman, wife. And he asks husbands to do the same with our wives. To present her and treat her and act in relationship to her as though this is who she is. Because it is, it is, of course, who she's called to be. He says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother, father, and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Many of us have been blessed to have been born of such a woman as this. Many of us have been blessed to have married such a woman as this. That is all together as the bride of Christ endeavored to be a woman such as this. 